Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. Have you ever noticed how much time people spend with drama? <clears throat> when I see drama, I don't mean like the drama class or theater or Broadway. I mean just drama, just relationship drama, just being upset about something and they just keep mulling it over. Maybe you've met that person that everything that bugs them is like um, it's like a cow with their cud. If you ever watched an old goat or an old cow just kind of chew on it, they're meditating on it. They're they're ruminating on it. They they swallow it. It seems to be gone and over and then bleh, it comes right back up again. Yes, that's exactly how a cow chews its cud. One of those six stomachs regurgitates it back into their mouth and they chew on it some more. And drama is just like that, especially drama that's unwarranted, unnecessary, but it's chosen drama. Let me say it another way. People get offended. Let me tell you something. Leaders don't have time for the nonsense of being offended. And that's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. I've been listening to a brilliant video between a former CIA agent and Tom Bilyeu. And as they're talking about the, the mind sciences and the growth patterns of humans and you know, from zero to seven, you basically take in any information that comes to you, whether it's right, wrong, or otherwise, and you really don't have any filter system or concern as to whether or not it's true. So if grandpa tells you that dinosaurs still exist and they all are purple and they all fly and they will hide under your bed if you don't eat your peas, you're going to believe it and you're probably going to act on it. But from seven to 13, that's a little different story. You're now deciding, is it true or is it not true? And should I believe it? And should I act on it? And you actually begin to make choices based on it. And then from 13 to 25, 13 to 25, that is the range of puberty before the prefrontal cortex begins to kick in. From 13 to 25, we might hear it as true and intentionally decide not to believe it. We might also reject what we know is true or what we've always been taught is true because, well, we don't want to believe it. We know that it's true. We've experienced that it's true, but we don't want it to be true. I remember a 17-year-old telling me one time, but I like to smoke weed. And I think if I smoke weed long enough, the cops will eventually just catch on that there's nothing they can do to stop me. I said, there's a certain amount of time that you'll spend in prison before you realize you don't change laws that way. He didn't want to hear that. You didn't want to hear that. But from 13 to 25, we're in puberty and we're still rejecting certain things and choosing the truths that we want to believe and frankly, getting offended at the ones that we don't. But from 25 on up, based on our education, based on our experiences, based on where we grow, we tend to find ourselves living a life very similar to those that we've lived around. Because from zero to seven, they kind of shaped our identity. Why do you think those who want to modify how children believe whether it's in a religious capacity, a sexual capacity, pedophilia, groomers, family destroyers, they start with kids around three years old. True story. Why do you think some of the books that people in certain states are banning altogether have been found in kindergarten classrooms? Because they can't reject the truth. They don't know what's true or what's a lie. And they don't care. 
If the person that they are affectionately endeared to tells them something, they hold on to it. The people they spend the majority of their time with, like classroom teachers and Sunday school teachers and friends, they hold a special place in the heart of a zero to seven-year-old. And they can tell them pretty much anything. And because of their affection, they buy it, they believe it, they act on it. Not necessarily because it's true, because at seven, you don't know and you don't care. From seven to 13, they might start to question it and question everything. And from 13 to 25, they're going to completely reevaluate it and reject some of the things that they learned early on. But for the rest of their life, they're going to build their life based on what they were told then. Now, here's where the rub comes in. As leaders, we often have to ask ourselves, how do I build a relationship with someone knowing very little about their past? How do I build a relationship with them based on no more data than they're willing to put accurately on their resume? And I say those words very specifically, willing to put accurately on their resume. Because we all know those people who show up for the job interview and when you read the resume or you've seen the bio and you think, there's no way that there's a direct match between the human sitting in front of me conversing and this resume, which means they probably paid somebody to polish up their resume and make it sound really good to get past all the machinery of HR and AI and all the digital bots that check a resume for certain keywords before it ever lands on the desk of the hiring manager. But when the human comes along that matches that resume, you realize these don't seem like the same person. One is a profile of a superhero and what's in front of me is... Well, not even Clark Kent. Happens on a regular basis when you're hiring, when you're hiring service providers or vendors or contractors or straight up employees. You're going to get superhero resumes and Clark Kent humans. So how then do you decide if that human is going to fit into your team, fit your culture, do the job, finish the tasks that you've assigned them? Well, that's a whole different set of questions, right? No, not really. And so fascinating in this uh interview between Tom DeLue and, and the former CIA guy, uh, Tom said, you know, I have a filter question that I ask when people come on to my team and, and I want to know whether or not they're going to fit in our culture. And that question is, when was the last time you were offended? I thought that was a pretty brilliant question because I have to think to myself, how would I answer that question? When was the last time I was offended? Of course, the follow-up would have to be, what is it you were offended by? And then the next follow-up to that would be, and how did you respond? And the next question to that was, what was the final outcome? Now, I'm just framing those questions myself, and I'm thinking if, if I were in an interview asking a, a new service provider or vendor a series of questions, those would be some pretty good questions to know if we're a good fit. And I would follow that series of questions until we came to a conclusion of, whether or not that's a good fit. I think it's pretty genius. It's a pretty good filter because it doesn't seem like I'm really digging into your psyche, but I am. And the CIA agent responded and said, well, I don't think that's a bad question, but I think my question would probably be more something like, tell me how you planned for your last vacation. Wow, that's, that's actually really good. I like that because... It, it makes you think about time management. It makes you think about, was the last vacation? Was the last getaway get or outing that you would even rank as a vacation, not just a weekend trip or a day trip or a chance to settle down for a minute? 
When was the last time you really took a vacation? And how much planning went into that? How much money did you have to set aside? How much time did you have to reserve? How did you ask for time off for your vacation? Well, that's a pretty significant amount of insight into who you are and how you handle money and how you handle other people and how you handle your family situations and how you make choices on where you're going to go and the kind of things that you find enjoyable and what you would call a vacation. That's really good stuff. But see, really, my point is leaders don't have time to get offended. Leaders might want to know how you planned your vacation. They want to get the insight into your strategic skills and your tactical skills and your organizational skills. But when was the last time you were offended? Take a minute and just ask yourself that question. When was the last time you personally were you? You. When was the last time you were offended? Not when was the last time you offended someone or when was the last time that you saw someone offended or when was the last time that you kind of were upset by something? When was the last time you were offended? What offended you? I challenge you as a leader to write these things down in a journal. You don't have to share them with anybody. You can keep that your secret life. But under the conditions of awareness, as a leader, you should be aware of when was the last time you were offended. When was the last time that you got your feathers in a ruffle? When was the last time you felt like somebody took advantage of you, mistreated you, abused you, whether it was verbally or it was in traffic? Maybe it was completely unintentional. They had no idea you were even present when they said or did or behaved in the way that they did, and it offended you. What was it that offended you? Why did it offend you? Was it something you took personal? Do you think they pointed you out when they did it? Were they even aware that you were there? Did they care? Was it designed to get your feathers in a ruffle? Was it meant not just to offend you, but to provoke you? What's the difference between being offended and provoked? Hmm, maybe you should consider that too. Well, what did you do as a result? Did you yell at them? Did you give them a one finger salute? Did you lay on the horn? Did you push to get them fired? Did you ask for a manager? Did you become a Karen in that moment? All of these are questions that you, as a leader, should be asking and answering yourself. Frankly, I like the question, when was the last time you were offended? I think it's a great interview question. I think it's a great question about our character. But let me be honest with you. As a leader, we don't have time for that nonsense. If you find yourself as a leader, a person who influences others, spending a whole lot of time dealing with the drama created in your own life, in your own mind, in your own head, in your own heart, in your own organization, because you took offense at something, whether it was intended or not. Remember, your greatest natural resources are your time, talent, treasure, and attention. And if you find yourself as a leader chewing over the cud, vomiting up the emotions of that last negative encounter and chewing on them again, meditating day and night on the garbage that was offense, even if it was on purpose, even if they tried to offend you, even if they went out of their way to offend you, there is nothing good to come of you holding on to the emotions that go along with that. 
let me refer back to my favorite neuroscientist, Dr. Caroline Leaf. She talks about the toxicity of what we call multitasking. And she says, I want you to know multitasking is a myth. What you think is multitasking is actually just doing several things at one time and not doing any of them well. But she goes on to say this. Understanding the relationship between the hypothalamus and the hippocampus, when you begin to recall certain memories while you're in the middle of another task, the subconscious mind is digging through all that stuff you're regurgitating. Oh, you've tried to forget about it. You've, you've tried to move on from it. But you took offense in the moment and now you still have that offense. You took on the emotion, the frustration, the emotional wounding, the anger, the hurt. And you've put all of those deep down inside you, like the beach ball being held under the water. It's not gone. It's just hiding. And you might be pressing it down under the water as much as you can, but until you begin to puncture a hole and let the air bubbles out of that beach ball, it's just going to keep coming back. That, my friends, is the effect of an offense. And while you think you're dealing with it, hiding it, nobody knows about it, you're regurgitating it, you're chewing on it, and the smell like a bad belch is wafting through the air for those in your immediate presence. You think nobody knows that you've been offended. Everybody knows that you've been offended. You think you've dealt with it and you've moved on from it, but your lack of forgiveness and genuinely moving on from it, it's pretty obvious. It comes up in conversations. It becomes a part of the, I can better that one, I can top that one kind of a contest. But it's also in the biochemical aspect of your body. When the hypothalamus and the hippocampus begin to do their things, those chemicals are re-released in your body because subconsciously you're thinking about that offense. You're thinking about what it felt like when it hurt so bad. You're feeling that same sense again and again and again. And those chemicals are firing off in your body, just like a rape victim who's been raped and they smell that certain olfactory the candle in the room or the cologne that the person was wearing, that, the, the fist fight that happened or the argument with your spouse that happened to those sights and sounds and senses that were surrounding you in the moment, they, they come back into your mind as subconscious triggers. You don't even think about them. You're not intentionally focused on them, but suddenly all the biochemicals in your body are firing off again and they're doing the same thing they were doing before. You're feeling like you're right back there in that moment again. You're dealing with the reality as if it's right now. And that's a challenge. It's a painful challenge. And it will sap your energy. And it will hurt your mind in more ways than you can imagine. And it can destroy your relationships. It can eliminate your productivity. It can stop your future. Taking a moment to be offended can become a lifetime of a burden. Leaders don't have time for that. So you're going to have to decide, what was it that I was offended by? How did I deal with it? What was it that I allowed to offend me? Because being offended is your choice. Even if they make a conscious effort to offend you, whether you're being offended or not, that's your choice. How you react to it, your choice. How it impacts you three days, three months, three years, three decades from now, you got it your choice. Leaders, don't waste time being offended. You don't have time to waste. You've got work to do. 
You've got lives to impact. You've got people to influence. You need to learn to deal with the things that offend you by working on you. You cannot stop people from, from offending you. Some will intentionally do it. Some will do it just to get a rise out of you. Some will do it because, well, they spend their life offended and they think everybody else should too because misery loves company. Some want to do it just because they want to bring you down and they know that offending you will become a perpetual thorn in your side. Don't go for it. Don't fall for the bait. If it looks like there's a hook inside that worm, find another worm to eat on because that one is just going to hook you into destruction. You don't have time for that. Leaders don't waste time being offended. So figure out what, that, what it is that offends you and figure out how to avoid it or let it go. Just let it go. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. Hi, my name is Christina Knowles, and I just got done taking Jay Lauren's Story Power Masterclass. It was amazing. I took away so much information. Um, one of the things that I really enjoyed being formally trained in media many, many years ago is the call to action. I will use that with every speaking engagement and I'm so grateful that Lauren just um, spoke truth into his teachings and he is a true professional. And I know this might sound weird, but I've been taking certifications in different classes over the years and Lauren is not boring. I can't even believe I got here at nine and then the class went by so fast that I was like, it's time to go already. And I was shocked that it was time to go already. So it's an awesome class. You're going to enjoy it, I promise. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time.